know, sometimes we're, we look around us and we see other churches, but we're so caught up in what we're doing here, we don't really think about the relationships. And then something happens like this past week where we're reminded that we do have sister churches we work together with. This last week was the annual convention for the Hawaii Pacific Baptist Convention. And I just felt just a need to mention a word about it because sometimes we don't make those connections. We're not alone. We may be in the middle of the Pacific, but there are other churches, not just nationally, but locally, that we work together with. Uh, 148 congregations in the Pacific make up the Hawaii Pacific Baptist Convention. No controversies, no issues came up, except one thing I did want to share about that partnership we have that has happened and been developing the last few years. Uh, it used to be the church, Hawaii, it was the Hawaii Baptist Convention, the state of Hawaii, and then Guam and Samoa became a part of our state convention, so it became the Hawaii Pacific Baptist Convention. In the last few years, there are expatriate churches in Korea and Japan that have become a part of the Hawaii Pacific Baptist Convention because they speak English, they wanted to be a part of something larger than themselves, and they formed an association now in Asia uh, to represent them, and they are part of our convention also. And this is just a reminder that we are not alone. We serve a great God together with our brothers and sisters. And so I did feel, want to just share that, a word about the convention this week. As we meet yearly, it's a reminder that we are together in this work, serving God together. There was an idea that was not new but English writer John Dryden was the first to use a phrase that captured the thoughts and imagination of many 17th and 18th century Europeans. It was the idea of the noble savage, fueled by stories from the explorers of the New World, of untouched people, untouched by civilization, Many people wanted to believe if only we could break free from the evil and corruption of a civilization, we could return to our state of innocence and happiness and begin to live at peace and harmony with nature and with the world. Of course, those are the same native people that they idealized that were often slaughtered and enslaved for greed. But as the age of explorers came to an end and the late 18th, 19th, 20th century, concepts of nationhood and political theory came to the fore with the thinking that if you have the right structure, you can create utopia, heaven on earth. If only we can put the right systems and policies in place, if only we can create the right social conditions, then we can be happy. But that political theory and idealism was trumped by two world wars and a bloodiest century in human history. As sin was confronted us every turn. Then came writings of people like Marx and Engels who held that economics held the key to happiness. If only we were truly equal, no class structures... Then we can all work together for a common good. And so you have the systems of communism and socialism attempting to create that perfect society based on the belief if only structure can be changed, 
harmony can be established. And don't we ourselves live in a system that believes happiness is to be found in a product or a possession? Every day, advertisers tell us, if only you buy this car or that cosmetic or that brand of beer, you can be happy. And for a testimonial, they post all those pictures of young, beautiful, smiling people on the front of their magazines. In recent years, the belief in if only has been seen with the popularity of dystopian movies and novels such as Hunger Games, Divergent series, Maze Runner, Mad Max, Matrix, Terminator, Planet of the Apes, Star Wars even. The word dystopia comes from the Greek meaning not a good place, with the idea that society has broken down, often the environment has been ruined, the world is a frightening place to live with mass poverty, squalor, suffering, people are oppressed by a police state which seeks to control every aspect of life. The plot line is pretty consistent. The world's a mess. A hero or heroine comes along, usually unintentionally, unwillingly. They're thrust onto the scene. Now, if only they can break free, everything can be put in order and made right. A belief in a perfect world out there somewhere, if only we connect the dots and do the right things. It's been seen in the church as well. If only Christianity were legalized, then the church would flourish. And Constantine is converted, Christianity becomes a state religion, and they believed everyone would live happily ever after. But now many historians of the church believe that one of the worst things ever to have happened to the church was when it was be- became the state church. As state and church often merge and corrupt one another. As Europe was Christianized, there was a belief Doctrinal purity was the answer. If only we all believed the same thing, then the world will become a better place. And Europe faced hundreds of years of religious wars trying to impose beliefs on one another. Because whenever doctrinal purity has been the primary goal, it led to intolerance and division and strife as one group seeks to impose its will on the other. And the body of Christ is divided. But of course, the belief in a world of if only is usually not as dramatic as all that. It often seems quite innocent. A church I pastored a number of years ago met on a small side street that wasn't visible from the main road. And because we weren't visible, one of the members got it into his mind and he believed very strongly, if only we put up a sign where people could see it, then the community would start to flock to church. And we would grow, but it never worked. It was kind of like the movie Field of Dreams, which came out at that same time. If you build it, they will come. But we have to watch that, because putting up a building or a sign or holding an event doesn't mean people will come. Jesus said, go out and tell them. Go out and invite them. Go out and bring them. The belief, though, in if only, doesn't stop there. It's seen in the Bible as well, from the very first pages. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth, and after each creation, he says it's good. When he's done, he looks at it, he says it's very good. He'd done everything, given man everything they could possibly want. Adam and Eve had a perfect world. What more could they possibly want or need? What more could God have done for them? 
And then they looked at this one tree with the forbidden fruit. The serpent comes along and convincing them, if only you eat that fruit, then you can become like God. Then you can be happy. Even in an ideal state, when everything is taken care of, stuff happens, we fall, people rebel, and mess up. Later, God began to work among the Hebrew people. They began to long once more for that perfect world, a place where they could live in peace and freedom, where they could be happy. If only we could have our freedom. And the sea parted. And the complaining began. If only we had something to eat. And the manna came. If only we had some meat. And the pheasants came. If only we had some water. And water came from the rock. If only we had a land of our own. A land flowing with milk and honey. Called the promised land. Then we'll be at peace. Then we'll be happy. And at each point along the way, God provides, does everything he promised, takes his people through the wilderness, they reach the border, they take a look around, and it's just too hard. And they end up wandering for 40 years. The longing continued, if only we could settle down, everything will be okay. Peace, prosperity, happiness. They cross the Jordan, they begin to take possession of the land, God provides for their needs. What more could they want? Well, if only we could be like our neighbors, God, and give us a king. Then we'll be prosperous and happy. If only we could keep the law, perform the correct sacrifices in the right way at the right time, then, God, you'll take care of us and be happy with us and bless us. If only the Messiah were to come. He'll set everything right. He'll drive Rome out. He'll give us our kingdom and we'll be happy. It was never enough. There was always something more. If only we could have that, then our lives will be perfect. And when they got it, or they didn't, if it failed to satisfy them, then it was God's fault for letting them down. Don't we still deal with that feeling of if only things were different in our lives? If only we create the right conditions. If only we elect the correct party. If only we institute the right policies. If only we make the right choices and decisions. If only we do things right, our children won't make bad decisions or go astray or get in trouble. If only we listen, then our health will be taken care of. Our bank accounts will never run dry. Our social problems will go away. If only we do everything right, we'll have a perfect world and live happily ever after. But God has already given us what we need. When do we start appreciating what we already have? God addresses that false longing for if only in the book of Isaiah chapter 5. When he says, beginning in verse 1, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers of Jerusalem and men of Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it. Yet when I looked for good grapes, 
Why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. The briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress." In their longing for this land of make-believe called if only, God tells them, I gave you everything you want, everything you needed. What more could I have done for you? And you're still not happy. Nothing new. If only things were different in my life, I would be happy. If only she would go out with me. If only I had more money. If only I could get that job or that raise. If only I could lose weight. Or if I was taller or better looking. If only my parents treated me differently, I could make something of myself. If only my boss was nicer to me, I'd be happier at work. If only I could retire. If only I could win the lottery. If only I could do everything right, create the conditions, my life will be fixed, My problems will be solved. Life will be good, if only. And in church, we have our own versions of this, if only. If only I had more time, I'd pray and I'd read my Bible. Of course, we seldom think about dialing back on a little on the amount of time we spent watching our favorite programs or surfing the web or updating our Facebook and Instagram pages. If only Sunday school started a little bit later, I would attend and I'd bring my kids. But not getting up tells our kids it's really not that important. If only I made more, then I would begin to tithe or support missions. If only I weren't so nervous or knew what to say, then I would tell my friend about Christ. If only never ends. There will always be new things we look for and find excuses why not to appreciate what we have and obey. What more do we want from God? What more could he have done for us than he's already done? Accidents do happen. Children will act up. Friends do disappoint and betray us. People do get sick. Some things are out of our control. Or as the poem says, even the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry. We can live our lives in a make-believe world called If Only. Or we can follow the words of Paul to the Ephesians when he said, make the most of every opportunity. Today is the day that God gives us. These hands and resources we have, he gives us to use. And he enables us to make the most of them without having to always wonder, if only I had something else. If only God gave me a different gift. What more could God do for us? In our search for meaning and happiness, for peace and harmony, what more could he do than he's already done? He's given us his son. He died in our place. He took our punishment upon himself so that we can stand forgiven before God. Or as 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. It sometimes, don't we still want more? Some new experience, some new feeling, some new blessing. 
Sometimes we can have a sense of entitlement as this, God, you owe me better than that. Yet, if we're not satisfied with what God's already given us, what he's already done for us, when are we going to find contentment and peace? No change in material conditions or education or job or anything else will make a difference if we do not find our peace and our strength in the one who saved us. We don't need to look for a perfect world. We have a perfect Savior. What more could God do for us? 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, His divine power has already given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has already given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What more could He do for us? Let me draw just a couple of applications of that. In our relationships, as parents... Don't we sometimes feel guilty and blame ourselves for the decisions and the actions of our children? Loaded down by that sense of guilt, asking, what did I do wrong? If only I had done this differently. And we live with a sense of guilt, forgetting that God also is a father. He had two children named Adam and Eve. He placed them in a perfect environment, gave them everything they needed, and they still fell. Here in Isaiah 5, he says he did everything he could for his people. Gave them everything they needed. What more, he asked, could I have done for them? And they still made bad decisions. We can ask why. What did we do? Wishing if only. And blaming ourselves for what others do. But God's already done what we need. Husbands and wives sometimes are tempted to do the same thing. We think, if only my spouse was different. If only my husband would do this. If only my wife would change that. If only they would become like someone else. Then we could be happy. Longing for if only won't help or get us anywhere except more dissatisfied. There's no perfect world this side of heaven. No land of if only with perfect children who never go wrong and homes and families. With God's grace and strength, we're called to make the most of every opportunity. And how about our work? Do we spend time daydreaming, making excuses, thinking, if only I had a different job? Paul said, whatever you do, work at it as with all your heart as serving the Lord, not men. What about in ministry? God has done everything possible for us, his people, to make his love known to the world around us. What are we waiting for? God says in Isaiah 5, 7, I look for justice, a good response, but I didn't find it. I look for righteousness, but I hear distress. We can do everything possible to help others. We can be faithful in ministry, take advantage of the opportunities to help and love them, and in the end, they still may not appreciate what we do. Those we try to help can take us for granted. They can abuse our offers, misinterpret our motives. We may feed them and shelter them and be treated poorly as a result as if we owe them. We can work with their children or their parents, 
And they always want more. I remember trying to help one man who came to the church asking for food. And so we had some, and I began to put it in a bag, and he watched over my shoulder everything I put in the bag, and he was constantly saying, well, I don't like that. Can you give me that? And said, I don't want that, but that over there. And I began to wonder, why am I even trying? Paul, though, said love is not self-seeking. Ministry is an expression of our love. We don't determine the response. We're just called to display the love of Christ. Jesus came to help us, and he was spit upon, abused, and crucified by the very ones he came to save. And then he told his followers, they're going to do the same with you. The important issue for us in ministry is not how others respond. It's are we faithful? Jesus set that example himself. Do what you know is good and right, and don't be worried about how others will take it. You know, one of the most penetrating and touching scenes for me in recent cinema came at the end of the 1993 movie Schindler's List. The Germans had surrendered. Schindler was preparing to leave his factory and escape capture. He was there surrounded by 1,100 Jews that he had saved by having them assigned to work in his factory instead of being sent to the labor camps, the death camps. And standing there surrounded by all these people he had saved, he breaks down and cries, I could have done more. I could have saved more. I could have saved a few more people. His friend was there seeking to comfort and assure him that he had done well, but he refused. He said, if only I hadn't spent so much money. If only I hadn't wasted so much when I could have been, which could have been used to save more people. His friend said, but you saved 1,100 lives. That's not enough. If only I had gotten rid of this car, I could have sold it and saved 10 more people. He pulls off a gold lapel pin that he wears and says, why did I keep this? It's gold, and I could have sold it and saved two more, at least one more. And his friend replies with an ancient Hebrew proverb, the man who has saved one life has saved the world. There's always more we could do, if only. We're always going to be tempted to think, if only we had done something different. We'll look at the results, or we'll look at others' response and think, if only I did something a little bit differently. But are you being faithful with what you know and with the strength and resources God has given you? For this is the day God has given you. Yesterday's past, tomorrow's not yet. If only doesn't apply. It's what are you doing today to serve and to love? That was the point of Jesus' parable of the faithful stewards when he said, he who is faithful with the little, they will be faithful with much. Paul told the Galatians, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. We don't live in a perfect world and we will not until that day when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. Until then, we are to live in the presence of today. One last area of application deals with our personal faith. God has already done everything possible to communicate his love for you. Don't cheapen it by asking for material blessings or placing conditions on your faith, saying, God, if only you do this, then I will. 
The question in chapter, or verse 4 of Isaiah 5 applies just as much to us. What more could he have done for us than he's already done? He sent Jesus. He forgives. He cleanses. He cares. He will never leave us or forsake us. What more could we possibly want? And he says, if only you open your heart, then I will come in. In a moment, we'll be singing our hymn of invitation and commitment. And it is an invitation if it is time for you to make that decision. Will you open your heart to the one who gave his life, gave you everything you need for life and a future? I'm going to ask if the worship team can come, and will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you that we don't have to live with the guilt of if only wondering how things could be different if only we did something or do something differently. But help us celebrate what you have done and are doing and want to do in and through us, the life you give. We thank you for that life that we can share through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now as we close this time of worship together, God, may we celebrate each day for the life that you do give Free us from the guilt of our failures, our sin, that we can take them to you and be washed clean and made whole. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.